Hey, 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 it's me, Katie here. Grab a notebook, add a cuppa, and join me in the sociology staff room. Hello, good morning, good afternoon. Um, I'm Katie Tyler. Welcome to the sociology staff room. We've got a wonderful guest today. Reese, thank you for coming on, first of all. No, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I've actually been looking uh, looking forward to it and uh, interesting of my students have been looking forward to it as well. So they'll probably be tuning in and, uh, and listening afterwards. Oh, let's hope so. Yeah. So obviously we're here to talk about like controversial topics, but first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself before we sort of delve into our sort of main discussion today. Yeah, so my name's Reese. So I'm uh, currently a sociology and history teacher at Leeds City College. I'm also the subject lead for sociology. Um, I've been teaching for about six years, um, mainly sociology and history, but I've also taught politics, international relations and uh, various other subjects too. So uh, quite used to talking about controversial, controversial issues. Uh, my degree is actually in politics and history and my undergraduate thesis was published which was a discourse analysis using qualitative interviews, looking at uh, the role of collectivism within the British trade union movement. And uh, I think the conclusion of that piece was essentially after the analysis was that um, trade unions had effectively been neoliberalized with a far closer focus on individualism and consumerism than uh, traditional roles of collectivism. So that was led to quite a lot of interesting conversations when I was invited to talks to uh, discuss that. Um, I also did a master's degree after that, which was a master's by research, uh, which was a little closer to sociology and philosophy. So I used postmodern uh, methodological approaches, so like Foucault, Derrida, Gilles Deleuze, to analyse current discourses within the trade union movement to look at the uh, internal power structures and... Um, try and find a, a way out really as to where they were going to go or what alternative discourses are in there. So yeah, quite, quite a lot of uh, postmodern theory. Um, the other thing I'm really interested in actually about myself is I'm really interested in open access uh, education, which is I think why I think this podcast is a really, really good idea. So open access to, to journals, but also because I used to work in a lot of kind of retail jobs, or I know a lot of people in the trade industry. When I used to work as a student and uh, before I became a teacher in those industries, quite I found quite a lot of people really interested in sociology, philosophy and, and, and these kind of theories, and, but they wouldn't have traditionally picked to study those subjects at college or university. So I was inspired to uh, start a YouTube channel, which I started in 2020, which is called Simple Philosophy. Um, and the aim is to kind of simplify complex ideas that I used to talk about with these people. Um, but I've ended up using quite a lot of that with my students because a lot of the theorists are the same. So the three most popular videos that we've got are on uh, Baldriard, Simulation, Simulacra, uh, Mark Fisher. Uh, the video is controversially titled Why There Is No Future. And I thought it would be quite funny to uh, release it on uh, New Year's Day um, back then. So, so that one's quite popular. And Derrida is quite popular. So there's a lot of hit on uh, postmodern theorists, really. So, yeah, so that, that's me, really. Wow, is all I can say for the end of that sentence. Very sort of like, I'd say, rich and diverse um, experience and, and knowledge and, and passions as well um, from what you were saying. And uh, I'm thinking, I was, I was smiling while you were talking because um, I think I mentioned before we, we came on um, that actually in the background is Duncan, who is our sociology lead. So a lot of our listeners will know Duncan Hall from, from Chew to Chew. Uh, and I know his passion is 
all of those things. So um, I feel like I'm maybe not best fit to have this conversation. I feel this is one that maybe Duncan is itching to get involved in. Um, but I would like to probably unpick your mind a bit more around your your research. But um, like you said, in your own words, that you are used to teaching controversial topics or having those discussions, particularly with your political and sociological background, the research you've done, and obviously your sort of views around sort of maybe open access and, and not, that, not that that's controversial potentially, but the fact that you feel that maybe education isn't open access for all, maybe. I don't know, I'm sort of thinking yeah. about that maybe. I mean, um, the reason why I really like working in FE is, is kind of for that reason, because many students that come to FE, whether they're returning learners or whether they are students that haven't chosen to go to sixth forms, and I'm not saying all sixth forms are like this, but for many of our students, they say the reason why they've come to FE is because they find it very um, prescriptive, both in, in the classroom and in general. So having a much more open environment is kind of where I thrive as a, as, as a person and um, I feel like a lot of our students thrive as, as a result. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree. Exciting. I feel like that's another podcast in itself. So maybe <laughs> like in the future we can we can talk about that and sort of the, the have you taught in a, in sort of a, ma a mainstream sixth form sort of thing before or have you always taught in like uh, I've taught it once before I did my PGC, you know, when you kind of get the experience mm. before, I kind of realized it wasn't really um, for me. But I've also done some university lecturing as well. So maybe I'm kind of more, more on that side, really. Yeah. Oh, well, the, the future's exciting. Or maybe not, according to your podcast. <laughs> well, <is> no yeah, <laughs> according to Mark Fisher, you know, there is no future. Which, uh, <laughs> Interestingly enough, when students watch that video, they come back and they ask lots, lots of questions. So, but maybe that's for another time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I think we definitely earmark that, and we'll put a link to that YouTube uh, channel with with the podcast for, for the listeners to to watch, basically. So, first of all, the word controversial. I mean, that's a sort of a loaded concept in itself. Let's in in, in true sociology style. Let's operationalize that. What does that mean to you? Uh, the word controversial. Controversial. Well, it's, the thing is, in the current kind of climate or social climate that we are in. Uh, I feel like it's a word that's kind of lost quite a lot of meaning um, in terms of what what is controversial. I mean, if we look at what's going on in some of the American schools where there's been the banning of, of books and um, texts that have been traditionally taught for quite a while um, due to alleged controversies, it's, I don't know, it feels like it's kind of become meaningless. But for me personally, it's any issue that may potentially challenge uh, somebody or may be considered to be a taboo topic, which... Um, people aren't really used to talking talking about or engaging with. Yeah, definitely. I suppose it depends what your makeup of your students are and where you're sitting, what is considered controversial. So like you said, if it, it's something that the students aren't traditionally like, used to exploring or might find difficult to explore, but that will vary from context to context, potentially. Um, so question, contra controversial subjects, topics, is it, should it, would, you know, are we supposed to be dealing with those subjects obviously we are within the humanities you know um is is there is it should it always be covered i suppose should we always delve our foot into controversy uh, 100%, I 100% I, 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 I believe that we should be doing controversial topics. And I kind of want to praise the um, AQA sociology specification there a little bit because it doesn't shy away from a lot of issues that we um, should be discussing, really, such as 
I mean, in the belief topic, we talk about fundamentalism. In uh, the family topic, obviously, domestic violence. And some people might feel, well, why are you talking to young people about that? But I genuinely think it's important that we do. Um, I'm sure most people listening, if they are teachers, find, or, or even if you have children, find that students are naturally curious uh, about the world. And the ages 16 to 18 is when you are forming your identity about who you are, what you think about the world, or trying to understand it before you develop into adulthood. And whether we like it or not, students are going to engage these debates in, in one way or another, whether it's you know feminism and gender politics, which I know for a lot of my students uh, is a big controversial issue that uh, they want to discuss or they want to understand, whether it's climate change or an upcoming climate catastrophe, whether it's ideas of justice, such as the Black Lives Matter movement happened a, a few years ago. Um, all of these things students are naturally curious about. And the concern for me is if we don't talk about these things or have a space where students can talk about these things in a constructive manner, they will get their information from YouTube, they will get it from TikTok, uh, they will get it from um, Facebook, although it's a bit of a ghost town nowadays. Um, but depending on what they're looking at, the algorithm isn't really sensitive. So the algorithm will just pick up something that you're interested in, and it will try to suggest similar videos. And it's very easy for students to start going down rabbit holes based on conspiracies like, you know, 15 minute cities or um, kind of racist ideas or Hillary Clinton being an alien, harvesting children for adrenochrome and all of this kind of stuff. And it leads to a lot of misinformation. So uh, I think it's really important that we do have a space where students can discuss controversial topics. Um, and without drifting off too much, uh, for me, learning uh, you can learn quite a lot of things on the internet and a lot of people have been saying to me oh ai is going to make you redundant in a couple of years ai can tell tell us everything it doesn't matter about you anymore but i think these people forget that learning is a fundamental social experience um and i'm very much influenced by vygotsky in that sense but having that's why i think it's important to have a space in the classroom where students feel open where they can discuss these ideas or maybe ideas that they might have seen on a YouTube video that they think is going to form their identity and then listen to what other people say. Um, I just think that's so, so important um, for, our, for our students. And I, I partly feel that we as teachers have a duty to, to discuss these things and not shy away, even if they are difficult topics. Yeah, definitely. I think you said so much then. There's one word that I want to pick up on in a minute. But like you said, you know, if we don't have these discussions, it could be quite challenging, maybe not always controversial, but sometimes challenging uh, for students to get their heads around. They're gonna, that, that information is gonna be found elsewhere. Um, or it gets, um, for some students, um, suppressed, but then that's not particularly healthy either, that they may not even explore it, but then it, it becomes something different within them potentially um, and may flare up later on in, in life or whatever it is so definitely but you use the reference the word space and that's what something I want to explore with you so we we're talking here with the agreement or you've said that you think con controversy is something we need to explore within sociology as you've said it is a feature of, of the sociology um, course depending on what example you are so you you know it depends everyone's got different ones but most of the sociology will have an element of controversy within it or discussion and debate but then you talked about this space so how do we construct a space where students can feel they can safely engage in those debates without feeling potentially victimized or you know feel like they are unable to express themselves fully how do we construct that space 
Yeah, oh, it's always a difficult question, and I'm, I'm very uh, conscious uh, since since I started my PGC on creating classroom cultures, which can sometimes be quite hard to manifest. But the the way that I've created a classroom cultures, and I've never had a problem in my experience, is from day one you lay the expectations down that we expect from students. And I let them know that we are going to be discussing these controversial topics and to get them used to that as part of the induction, we talk about like polyamory and some of these um, taboo uh, topics to get them used to it. So in terms of creating that classroom culture, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, an agonistic approach. Oh no, explain more to me. Uh, so it's kind of the idea of normalizing disagreement. So it's quite an it's quite an old concept, but it seems to have uh, returned back in in lit in some literature recently, which is the idea that naturally not everybody in the room is going to come to a consensus or, consensus or an agreement, but we allow people to have their say or express that, and then engage with other other arguments. Um, so that culture for me is really really encouraged. Um, the other thing that I think is really important when we are creating these classroom cultures is the knowledge of the tutor. So I'm someone that kind of reads quite a lot of the news and tries to keep the content fresh and see what students are, are engaging with or what their interests are. So it's kind of tapping into that really and doing some, some reading and understanding around it. Um, and the other thing as well is not to force debate or argument around controversial topics. So. One of the most difficult ones that I would say to teach would be the domestic violence element that we teach on the specification. It is obviously a very um, difficult subject for a lot of people and difficult for people to to talk about. Uh, and in that lesson in particular, it's important that we don't force students to, to engage if they don't want to. If the group's going to remain silent, then that's fine. You can just deliver both sides of the argument. But if people do want to contribute, it's about making sure that's managed in a fair and effective way, really. Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of the principles that I use to discuss these. Um, and I kind of build that very, very slowly throughout the year. So it'll maybe start by talking about different types of, of couples in the introduction to then talking about sexism in schools and giving them literature on like Ofsted reports and problems and short BBC new art news articles and asking them to, to develop on that. And then over the year, um, it tends to develop quite a supportive culture with each other, which is nice. Hmm, definitely. And I think it's, like you said, not forcing that discussion when it's, it's the students are not feeling it. And I think it's being, so like you said, aware of where the students are at as well in their sort of journey of learning, but also willingness to share. Um, you sort of mentioned, obviously, the sort of range of topics, and we're going to come to that in a minute. But I want to sort of think, other than I've mentioned the word, like maybe students feeling potentially victimised or something like what other potential problems or, or not so much problems, but potential concerns that we need to be as, as teachers because we talked about creating this safe space but anything we need to be aware of um, particularly those new to sociology that potentially could become a barrier for students engaging in controversial debate um, sometimes there might be one student that tends to dominate which sometimes happens and they might be kind of spouting uh, taboo uh, positions normally in my experience when there is a student like that they don't normally believe what they're saying but they're normally trying to goad for a reaction um, so in that sense uh, I think this is where the knowledge part would come in it's about challenging uh, 
their views and then usually students will then other other students will tend to chip in to challenge those as well to kind of let them know that that's not acceptable um, there are obviously legal restraints and some things that we can talk about as well so um, obviously with prevent agendas and um, British values and various things around that that you do have to take a more firm approach or speak to students afterwards or just close down a debate um, but to be honest with you that's only ever happened once uh, in, in, in my experience and I think it's not to shy away from closing down debate when it's got a little bit too far, but normally you can talk students down or get them to consider uh, other positions if they are doing that. And like I say, in my experience, most of the time they're doing it to um, be edgy, shall we say. Um, so so it's quite easy to take, them to take it down in that sense. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think for us, the beauty of sociology, it's it's not we're not talking about I think or this is me that actually it's through the lens of a sociological theory I know personally what I make sure is that I get give them as students a theory and make sure like in small groups they're coming in from that perspective um, yeah. and then I try and switch it around so like I'm very conscious the students have preferred preferred theories so I try and make sure that they don't get that preferred theory you always like get their, their yeah. face goes when I get something they don't want to think about. But I always remind them that when it comes to, to an essay as well, they have to consider different perspectives. It's not going to be from the theory they prefer. But also it helps yeah. with the debate, doesn't it, to consider the other the other view that, like you, I think you mentioned agnostic, like the one that you don't agree with, it, it, it does exist out there and it will make for a healthier debate when you know that. Um, I was actually first... going to say, oh, sorry. 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 I was gonna say, just kind of bouncing off that, actually, I completely agree. And uh, it's a really good way of actually creating kind of like a neutral space by embedding it in theory. So um, a couple of students had a question about the Ukraine war when, when that started. And obviously that was something like, oh, obviously we've not fully got my head around this situation as it kind of unfolds. So what we did is we did a um, theoretical comparison of functionalist approaches to war and then Marxist approaches to war and then postmodern approaches to war and how they would each look at it. So students could kind of go away um, and think of it in that sense. Um, I know we we're going to talk about uh, Andrew Tate at one point, but I'm, I'm going to talk about something similar when we get to that question. Well, I was just about to come on to it. I mean, when we oh, first okay. agreed to talk about um, controversial subjects, at the time it, it felt quite apt to talk about Andrew Tate. I know that when I was teaching, that was seemed to come up as the, the most controversial at that time and that students really wanted to get their head around that. Um, I feel like almost as sociology does, it's moved forward so much more. And I feel like I wrote a list of other ones that potentially are more challenging. Um, you've mentioned it already sort of, you know, uh, I'm trying to sort of phrase it in a way that isn't loaded, but basically the variety of political perspectives within America at the moment, um, is probably the most neutral way of saying it. So that's more relevant. And obviously we've had also um, within in England itself, uh, immigration explored as well. I feel like there's been a lot in a very short period of time since we've uh, we first talked about having you on the podcast and you contributing. Um, so I'm, I'm, just, I'm going to be contrary. You choose which you'd like to talk about. I mean, I mean there is so many. Um, there's there so is, many. Over, like <laughs> over the, the past few years, I mean, we've had quite a lot of challenging people with like Jordan Peterson when he was mm -hmm. uh, popular and some of the stuff that he was coming out with, which just wasn't academically supported or backed up and challenging those views. Um, Kathleen Stock, 
uh, more recently, uh, who I've actually now integrated into the uh, feminism theory module um, as a as to talk about that uh, challenge on gender identity and radical feminism, liberal feminism and postmodernism. Mm. Uh, but I think the easiest one to talk about probably is the Andrew Tate one, because for me, that was quite surprising um, when that broke out, because a lot of teachers didn't know who he was. And I don't think it was fully exposed, his influence on a lot of young men uh, that we were teaching at the time, because... I think for for a lot of teachers, they're probably just not in that world of the uh, Jim Bro in, influencer or or whatnot. And um, yeah, why a lot it definitely of got caught me off. Like, I think the students told me before, and what's even scarier, um, I think even younger, even younger than secondary school, knew of him because I've just put anything out there. Like now, like, there's even a, like a child, you know, like children have one, two buckle my shoe there's he's referenced in that and the children don't know what that word means they don't know what Andrew Tate means so it's definitely I suppose the mass mass I don't want to say appeal because it's not appeal but I suppose for some young people it has been an appeal hasn't it I think it's far well more stretched than anything else that it's outside of the sociology I think for, for people who take sociology they'll be aware of what's going on in America like you know they'll be aware of immigration but for for something like Andrew Tate that that was across a whole breadth of people but interestingly I think I wasn't fully aware of the impact until you know you start teaching you're like wow and then you, and it's like you said young people but young 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 people were aware and also people in there like 30s that I wouldn't have thought were particularly interested or concerned with that um yeah or 40s as well so yeah I mean I mean yeah. I actually have a bit of an anecdote in relation to Andrew Tate around about that time um he came up in a lesson when we were talking about feminism and crime and obviously a lot of the uh females in the room were saying oh he's horrible person these things that he says um and there was a, a young man in there who said uh oh, so i quite like it. some of, some of the things he says you know i i can agree with so obviously all of the girls and they just jumped on him for for saying that uh, and he eventually kind of backed down when they were debating with each other and and it turned into a really good conversation because he said okay i don't agree with the things that he said in relation to misogyny but he has a bugatti and that was quite that was quite interesting to me as to why a lot of these young men have, have gone into it. So I kind of then jumped in with the theory and I said, okay, well, we can actually link this back to what we're talking about and relate it to the crisis of, of masculinity. So within the crisis of masculinity, it's based on several elements. So there's obviously a lot of young boys are in a from a young age in a very female dominated environment um, where obviously there's lone single parents uh, tend to be female we have um, the feminization of education um, and we also have the decline in, in masculine jobs which has led many people or many young men to be confused about their identity um, and, and it seems that for a lot of young men they're stuck between two types of identity that they can fall into there's either this toxic Andrew Tate's masculinity where women are seen as something for conquest or something that should belong to them in a very traditional way it's also about being successful and flashing your cash and being wealthy and it's not just andrew tate that promotes these ideas i mean a lot of the music uh, students listen to you know people like drake to an extent although i think he's on his way out or like post malone or if you listen to kind of any male popular pop star or uh, rapper they tend to portray 
elements of this toxic masculinity. Um, and the other one is a kind of, uh, that students are saying is this kind of like hyper-feminized masculinity. And many of them feel that if they don't fit into either of these two categories, that there's nowhere they can go. So they kind of end up playing up into, into one or the other. Um, but we had a really good conversation discussing that. And we also linked that to how that links to capitalism in itself. You know, Andrew Tate, toxic masculinity, it's all kind of a product of the capitalist system and the pressure that you have to be successful, that it's a dog-eat-dog world and that you have to be like that and be the alpha male or whatever nonsense that they pseudoscience that they come out with um but it led to kind of like a really good honest discussion that actually maybe we should have more of a conversation as to what masculinity is and that if you don't feel represented by either of these you know what is that to you um and i think that's a really important conversation that seems to be that i think a lot of young men really want but it seems to be harnessed by people like tate or jordan peterson that has taken them down a road that I think a lot of them don't really want to go on, but they don't feel there's anything else there for them. So it was a really nice, healthy discussion. Um, and it was a surprise that it kind of naturally occurred within the lesson. Um, but I thought it was, I thought it was quite interesting. And it was so just a way like, to neutralize it. Yeah, so basically it came up from the students rather than from you going right today, I'm going to do a lesson on, on Andrew Tate, that it something organically came out of the students and then you constructed it through a theoretical debate you mentioned obviously crisis masculinity and, and Mac and Gow, and then obviously sort of looking at capitalism potentially and, and maybe even looking at, you know, the feminist movement as well. I, I don't know if you assumed you looked at that as well. So yeah. there's sort of like, yeah. And so that's, that's interesting because sometimes it's the students that bring it forward to you rather than the other way around. And, and like you said, you've brought it right back to theory rather than shutting it down, which I think sometimes it's, if you're a little bit nervous or you haven't prepared for it, or it wasn't in your sort of planning, um, then actually it'd be like, oh, we're not talking about that now. We've got to get on with da 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 whatever it is in the scheme of work. But actually allowing that space allows students to feel be feel heard and valued. Uh, and they'll carry on, I suppose, if you put those foundations in place, they'll keep on coming forward with those questions. And it goes right back to what you originally said at the beginning. If they don't come into lesson doing that in a safe academic perspective, then actually there's a risk of them going elsewhere that like you said, that rabbit hole or potentially suppressing that in some way. Obviously, yeah. you know, not every lesson we can, but I think if you give the space to it, I think that's definitely, like you said, yeah. healthy in order to do that. Yeah, I mean, you look like you're it, yeah, it kind of links back to my PG. So I've always had this idea because I'm quite obviously Foucault influenced my PGC thesis or whatever. Um, and it's about kind of like, there's a book by Deleuze as well, which is on Spinoza, which is about when to um, accelerate or decrease your power and sharing like the power that you might have in the room. So obviously, if I'm the knowledgeable other, it's been comfortable to obviously pass that down to other people that are in the room to, to be able to do that. Um, I mean, another example that we did recently was in the uh, globalization and religion lesson that we did before the year twos left. And a lot of them had not heard of Modi or what was going on in India. So I showed them a video on Channel 4 News and we had a debate. And then the next lesson, I think Modi had arrested some of his opposition, um, political opposition. And they all came in like, Reese, you know that lesson that we did last lesson? I've, I've just seen on the news that, that this has happened. And, and yeah, I see what's going on. So yeah. And, and again, they leave, they get a better understanding of the content of the course by doing that. Um, and I think they also leave as more well-rounded people, which I think is really, really what we want as part of our hidden curriculum. Uh.
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd say definitely. My only question around this, and it's just me just thinking again as you were talking, I'm a big fan of, of going off and, and talking about things that are contemporary. I'm also conscious that for some reason the academic year just feels like it's a whirlwind and before we know it, we're back at the end of year 13. How do you, I mean, I know this is not the conversation, but I think the, the nature of wanting to bring in, because the students are passionate about it, um, want to bring in debate from outside of the, the spec. Potentially, obviously, you can make those links, but then, you know, how do you then get that, get that balance? It, should you be getting that balance? Like you said, you want them to be well-rounded um, individuals. You want them to engage in the sociology specification and then make it applicable to something that's theoretical to real life. But then how do then you balance that against the fact that before you know it, you're at the end of year 13 and you've maybe maybe a week behind or two weeks behind. I'm just, I'm thinking that even for my own sort of uh, personal reflection. Yeah, I mean, it does sometimes happen. I mean, sometimes you'll have the occasional lesson where we'll be like, right, we're going to need to get our heads down today and we're going to need to cover a lot. So we've got knowledge organisers and we're going to do this and you can talk amongst yourselves, but we need to keep it um, focused and dry. Uh, sorry, focused and um, engaged, <laughs> was not that, dry. Was that, was that a Freudian slip <laughs> I mean, there? That was, a bit, that was definitely a Freudian slip because I hate those lessons where it's like, right, we've just got to kind of wade through a bit of content to, to get through it and then we'll discuss it later. But yeah, um, so, so yeah, sometimes you kind of do have to tone things down a little bit but I think because they've had that engagement beforehand having a little bit more of a kind of top-down structured um, lesson they, they appreciate that because they know that we need to get through it um, but a lot of it's down to kind of like planning and pacing and uh, rejigging the scheme of work so if you saw like my scheme of learning there's just arrows all over where I've moved things around where this has happened and um, maybe like condensing parts or sometimes if it's a complicated topic instead of doing the original task that or research task that I was going to get them to do I'll break it down and explain it because I know that I can do that quicker so it's just about kind of being adaptable to be fair if, if for anyone that is listening that wants to be a teacher or is new to sociology I think adaptable is probably the key word um, and just kind of flowing flowing with the students and sometimes it's harder than others and every year you panic thinking you're not going to finish the content and somehow somehow it just kind of magically <laughs> comes together I can't even I can't really explain how it happens it just somehow does and I'm sure you've probably had the same experience yeah 100% I mean I think I mean going into support of the sort of debates is there's the payoff because I've obviously been in sociology so synoptic so I was saying to the students you know the other day you know or not just the other day but I say to all my students you know what you're learning now you all look again in year 13 so it's not like we look at it and never look at it again so actually sort of the payoff of looking at something maybe looking at other debates outside or other issues actually it will help you understand it further and actually when you come to it the second time around you might not have to spend as long as you think you're going to have to it the one that you've planned on your scheme of work um like you said it's rejigging you can condense it because you think oh well actually i spent longer on that then um and so I don't have to spend as long this time on it. So I think but the beauty of sociology is the fact that it is so synoptic. So actually it's revisited lots of different times. So the core debates would be obviously class, gender, ethnicity, revisited, revisited, and revisited. Whereas I suppose for other subjects, actually there isn't the room to do that because it's all sort of self-contained. Um, yeah, I was just thinking I mean, about I, that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not just sociology. I've kind of the same thing in history. So a couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago, we were doing about the pale of settlements and quite a lot of students didn't really understand why anti-Semitism was so embedded in Europe at that point. So I actually planned in uh, a kind of 20 minute 
overview and introduction to kind of the history of anti-Semitism, which I'd use various, um, obviously approved sources to discuss. But by doing that, it actually gave them a far better understanding of the content that, that they were looking at. Um, and I also think it's always worthwhile giving students the, the power to actually discuss these things. And I'd rather not take that away from them for something that I can maybe, might be a bit stressful, but I think it's worth doing that condensing to give them that say and, and that ownership of their own work and their own classroom and their own environment. Um, and it sounds like you're on the same page as me, so, so that's good. <laughs> Yeah, obviously, there's not a right and wrong. And I suppose if you're new to teaching as well, I think you want to keep to the sort of specification and the guidelines as much as possible. Because until you've worked through it once, you don't really know really how it all flows until you've got to the other end. You're like, oh, well, we've looked at subculture here. We've looked at it here. And, I mean, like, I teach cultural mm-hmm. identity. So we look at subcultures in, obviously, education. We look at it in cultural identity. We look at it again in crime so by the time the students get to it they're like i know this inside out now so but until i think you run through it i'm thinking of new teach those that are training then sometimes you don't really see the whole year until you've taught it once but yeah like you said you somehow get there um and then the main thing is the students enjoy it i suppose as well which is clearly what you 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 aim for for your students i could talk to you forever about (laughs) all these controversies and we weren't that controversial either were we we were not no no i mean there's still time (laughs) Um, i mean i'm happy to to do it but yeah (laughs) i mean do you know what i when i was younger i was really controversial in the sense i was quite like i thought this i thought this i thought this when i say young i'm talking about 16 years old and that's why i think thinking as now as a teacher as an adult that when you're that age like you said right at the beginning you're more likely to be exposed to those views and you're like not controversial but you're like quite rigid in your thinking because you've you've only managed you've only had a little bit of time on the earth so you've only got your head around one school of thought and you're like right that's it uh and then then there's obviously something that happens in your thinking and you're like oh then there's this and there's this and then there's this and obviously that's when I fell in love with sociology because I had my yeah. few thoughts and then it was able to explore lots of others. Um, I think, um, I think yeah. kind of just bouncing off that a little bit as well. I mean, when I was younger, uh, it was kind of like in the early days of the internet where the servers weren't as big. So in order to kind of get internet clout or gain some kind of attention on the internet, you had to have quite a lot of engagement or your posts would disappear forever. And I feel that this has created an environment even to this day where saying really like extreme or offensive things or having extreme opinions on sociological debates or issues kind of becomes the norm in terms of what you're engaging with. Um, Even if you think about some of the like this kind of slang that our students use now when they call someone a a, a man a simp or something like that, there's kind of a sexist connotation within that. Um, So yeah, I I agree with what you're saying. When you're young and you've only been exposed to these uh, views that you think are kind of normalized or whatnot. Um, I think that plays a role too. But if you don't mind, I'd quite like to talk about one of my influential teachers, which is very similar to, to what you were saying. So uh, my history teacher, my old history teacher, who I'm still actually friends with, is brilliant. What guy. is it? Always history teachers. Like I literally, I, we're, we're just crazy. History teachers, I literally was a history teacher. Like I, I obviously <laughs> that was it. And it got me started to think about different debates and different perspectives. Cause obviously all you have is the narratives at that point of your small group of friends. I wasn't brought up in the internet area, so I literally had my like 10 group of friends and <laughs> my, you know, I don't know, my family, and then that's it. That's the, the perspectives you had. And then you were like, oh, everyone else does it differently. That's really interesting. That's how my brain went. And it was a history teacher that was like, 
opened my mind up that some people do it this, some people do it like this, some people do it like this. And I, I love that. I love other people's perspectives. Um, but yeah, that was just interesting. It's always a history teacher for some reason. Always the history teachers. But this this one history teacher had. So we used to have like last thing on a Friday, which is always like the death slot. Like for anyone and he'd come in uh, and he wouldn't do it like a normal lesson he'd put his chair in the middle of the room he'd cross his legs and he'd just start oh, going on. i thought he was gonna do a back to you know when you, they put their chair back to front i think please don't do that please don't do it. <laughs> no 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 he was uh, he's kind of proper old school but he'd sit there and he'd go right trotsky and it's like i thought we were doing nazi germany today and he'd kind of go off about like trotsky and the merits of his argument and then he'd kind of bring it back to to nazi germany and he'd, he'd looked at it in a way that I just would never have considered when I was 16, like the ideas of like Marxism, or even if he took like a feminist approach, he'd, he'd kind of take that Friday lesson as almost like a story time, but it would be the content from uh, a, a completely uh, out there perspective that I've never heard of before. And I just found that so engaging. Um, I always kind of joked to him, like, I didn't really learn huge amounts about Nazi Germany, but I learned a lot about Trotsky from you. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just just him doing that was really, really inspirational because it just opened my eyes to like so many different ideas. And I think I think for both of us, that's probably why we try and do that with our students now that we don't shy away from it because we want you to see the kind of um, complexity of the world or uh, as Diller, like a multiplicity uh, of the world as Dillers would put it. Oh, definitely, definitely. I think that's the thing. I think it's always remembering, like that's why I mentioned being 16. I think that was a very, very long time ago. But I think sometimes remembering the, even though obviously there's the internet and there's a range of perspectives, I think actually with Echo Chambers, it actually you're not really getting that much of a range of perspectives. And so I think it's always remembering, like when you're with a 16 year old, they've only, they're not intentionally, or they might be, like you said, the ones students are trying to be intentionally controversial um, to sort of create a debate. But actually most of the students, they only have, they're only 16, do you know what I mean? And they're only, it's the first time they're exploring those debates. And so actually it's being mindful of that when you're introducing debates that they're not, maybe there's no intent by saying something. It's just that they're expressing a, a, a thought and actually haven't really thought it through that much. And actually it's mm. now the, the chance to look at it from different perspectives. Um, and like you said, right at the beginning, creating that safe space. Um, and obviously, we're lucky with sociology that we've got theories and the lens to look that look at that through. So, yeah, I'd love to yeah. see a fly on the wall. I mean, I, mean I actually, <laughs> I think one thing that I kind of do as well is uh, normally you'll have a group that will normally skew based on what you were saying, they'll normally skew either left wing or, or right wing. So what I'll purposefully do is kind of poke the bear and just take on the opposite persona mm. to try and get them thinking of that opposite, which which normally uh, encourages debate too. I don't know if you do that as well. Yeah, um, I do love it. For the students are not feeling too tired, you know, my experience is a hot summer's day, maybe less so, but I like to do a bit of a human bar graph and put them up. And if I notice there's a sort of a, a bit of a polarisation on one side, I might stand on the other side just to just to pose a perspective, really. Um, and then if I, if I don't get that, like I said, I often give students the theory, um, so they have they're forced to think of that perspective. But yeah, I, it's, it's just, I think sometimes, oh, what do you think da, 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 might say about that? And they're like, mm, 
not really sure. We have a little bit more devil's advocate with it, you see. (laughs) So, like, obviously, we've got Charles Murray behind me, who's on the wall to goad students anyway, because normally he's quite controversial. So, obviously, his discussion in family, I'll be like, oh, well, he's got a point, though, hasn't he? And then they're like, no, 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 no way. And then that kind of brings it out. So, I quite like poking the bear in that sense. Oh, I'm not that that controversial. (laughs) (laughs) As long as it's faithful, I'm like, I'm perfectly happy to poke the bear and just, like, you know, see what comes out, really. Yeah, well, I think, you know, we've all got different teaching styles and different perspectives, and I think that's really, really healthy in order to do that. I think if we were all the same sort of teacher, it, it would be quite a boring experience for, for the te- the students. With, um, and variety is the spice of life, for sure. So Yeah, uh, I think we need more, like, eccentrics as well, really, because I think what you were saying before is if you might feel quite nervous if you just follow in the spec, but I think these eccentricities is kind of what stays with students and gets them engaged as well. Um, oh, definitely. Oh, if we yeah. sitting down in the middle of a classroom with a chair next week, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I, I mean, I do. I, I mean, I do love a tangent. Don't get me wrong, but I'm conscious that I will probably eat up all of your morning talking about this. Um, <laughs> um, but we, I'm definitely going to get you on again. I want to talk more about your podcast and your YouTube channel, and want to talk to you more about all your sort of ways as you sort of open access to education. I think that's really interesting and exciting. Um, so, yeah, you'll be getting a message from me as soon as I Oh, that's, that, that sounds you. brilliant. I've, I've really enjoyed this chat, actually. It's, like, it's a little bit like, uh, is it going to be really formal? But actually, I think it's devolved into a kind of um, a proper staff room conversation, really. Well, that was, that was the goal. That was the goal. I <laughs> must admit, I can link sociology into both things. Somehow, I'll weave it into a, left, uh, into a staff room conversation. Even a maths teacher will end up talking about sociology by the end of... 15 minutes with me so thank you ever so much for your time and all the best and enjoy your summer holidays most importantly yeah thank you so much um and hopefully i'll see you again yes please thank you (laughs) take care bye hello um it's katie from the sociology staff room we are going to have a little break for the next sort of couple of weeks or so enjoying the summer holidays Uh, so this episode will come back do not fear in September and we'll look forward to talking more about sociology and all the things related to that in September. Until then, have a great holiday and we'll see you then. Bye-bye. The Sociology Staff Room is brought to you by tutor to you Sociology. Find us at tutor2u.net forward slash sociology or follow us on Twitter at tutor 2 or Instagram at tutor 2 You can also join our very lively Facebook groups for sociology teachers. See you soon.